Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by the launch angle to my exit velo, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. On today's May 12th edition of the show, we're going to discuss uh, the Sox finally on the right track, uh, the bullpen being better than expected, and uh, some pretty nice performances uh, down on the farm. But first of all, we have to welcome uh, Keaton. I am doing great, man. Excited to be here for a three, my, uh, my third one in a row, uh, filling in for Patrick last week. And you know, how can I be feeling down when the Red Sox are finally over 500? Yeah, they're over 500 with an exclamation point here at this point. So they're 22-19 yeah. at this point. Um, they just swept the Seattle Mariners. Um, they're on a five-game winning streak right now. Um, they've won eight out of their last nine games. And suddenly they find themselves just three three games back of the Rays for first place and just two and a half games back of the Yankees. Uh, so considering the ridiculously disastrous start to the season where everything looked terrible, the offense looked terrible, starting pitching looked bad, and then we had a stretch where the bullpen looked really bad, um, this is about as as good of a turnaround as I've seen, uh, and I think it it kind of starts with the offense just being bananas recently. It really has been, and really the catalyst, uh, apart from uh, Chavis, when Chavis kind of started to take a bit of a dive, uh, Devers has really picked it up the past two weeks and is actually leading the American League in batting average now <clears throat> among all qualified hitters, Rafi Devers. First in the American League. That's that's pretty good, yeah. Uh, so Devers, uh, this season, just to give you an idea of what his stat line looks like, um, he's batting three thirty six uh, with a four oh eight OBP and a four fifty six slugging. And that slugging has been going up and up and up and up and up. Uh, his WRC Plus right now sits at 132. He's got two home runs on the year, but I have a feeling that that number is going to really start to skyrocket soon. Um, he's got a boatload of runs already, 27 runs scored, 21 RBIs, and shockingly, he has five stolen bases too. But every time he gets up to the plate, um, Devers looks like he is going to do some damage. And uh, I think the biggest thing for him, you know, digging in a little bit more to his numbers, is he's got his walk rate up. I mean, his walk rate's 10.9% versus 7.8% last year. And he cut his K rate down by 10.2%, down from 24.7 uh, to 14.5. That's just that's a massive dip, um, and uh, it's just paying huge dividends for him right now. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we can properly put into words the effort that a hitter has to put in to reduce their strikeout rate by 10%. That is a ridiculous amount to reduce your strikeouts by. And the fact that it's gone from uh, strikeouts to base hits and he's not, like, struggling with any, like, down BABIP or anything like that is just fantastic. And we talked about Devers at the plate um, in one of the previous episodes when he was still kind of struggling both in at the plate and in the field. I think his batting average was only, like, 260 at the time. <laughs> But his launch angle was like three and a half degrees, and he's doubled it now to where it's seven and a half. So not only is he getting a whole bunch of hits, he's putting the ball in the air a lot more. And I 100% agree with you that the homers are really just the next domino to fall for him. 
Yeah, and that's something that Alex Spear mentioned on the broadcast last week is that he really has a, a swing that is custom built to having that typical launch angle style loft to it. So um, I think we're going to start to see those come in in bunches. Um, but looking at his breakdown here, he's up this contact percentage um, from 74.5% last year um, to 78.9% uh, this year. And the big difference is in contact with pitches outside of the zone. He's done a much better job this year of actually reaching those pitches and doing something positive with them. So his O contact last year was 63.6, and this year it's up to 72.4. And that's where that huge jump is that we're seeing, is just the ability to do things with pitches outside the zone where he previously he was sort of inept with pitches outside the zone. He didn't. He would either flail at them or he wouldn't, wouldn't do anything uh, of use with them. And his chase percentage is lockstep from 2018 to 2019. In 2018, it was 32.6. 2019, it's 32.5. So it's not that he's swinging less at pitches out of the zone and just, like, picking and choosing and making better contact. He's still swinging at just as many pitches outside the zone as he always has. He's just making way more contact with them. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Uh, the changes that he's made. So hopefully Devers can keep this up. Uh, he's definitely, he's looked so good. Um, the starting pitching, though, is something else we have to talk about. The starting pitching has been awesome over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think the biggest guy that we need to talk about is Chris Sale because uh, last time we were, we were on together, Keats, he had had an encouraging start. Um, but nothing like the one that we just saw last time. Uh, his last start where he struck out 14 was pretty much vintage Chris Sale and uh, reminded us all that, you know, anytime you, you start to worry about one of the, the premier aces in baseball who's chiefly in his prime right now, uh, you should probably think twice about it. Yeah, it was actually, I was looking back at the box score for that game, and it was pretty wild. There was 10 batters that actually entered the game and nine of them had at least one strikeout, and seven of them had multiple strikeouts. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and all of a sudden, what we're starting to see from him is his numbers, which were horrific for the first uh, you know, few starts that he was out there, and there was just nonstop overreaction to that. Um, they're actually starting to fall in line with his historic numbers. His K per nine is almost up to uh, 11.5 at this point after being minuscule for the first couple of starts. Uh, and his walks per nine are almost under two right now, which is basically what he is when he's being Chris Sale. So um, I, I, I feel fully confident in his rebound right here. Um, where are you at with him? Do you think he's like... I don't know, a top five starter going forward? Yeah, I think he has to be. I mean, if he's, he's performing up to his abilities like he did the last game, there's very small amount of pitchers that can consistently do that. And it's... I would feel pretty safe saying top five. Yeah, <clears throat> I would agree. Um, so it... it, it the way that this has gone for him is it's really been a tale of of two starts, uh, two sets of starts. So his first four starts, he gave up uh, seven, one, five, and four, while striking out four, one, three, and six. And then his last four starts, 
He's given up 2, 2, 0, and 1 while striking out 10, 8, 10, and 14. So uh, that's, uh, that's a nice little rebound right there. Yeah, it certainly is. And his which game is... score has gone up every single time too, which is pretty nice. His, his last game score was a 94 for that gem that he had. That's pretty good. It's not not a whole lot better that you can do there. No, no. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice one. Um, but let's talk about some of the other pitches. How have you felt about the rebound that Rick Porcello has made? Because I think that he's one of the guys we don't really talk about uh, that much. Uh, I know that we personally, me and you, talk about him quite a bit. Um, but Porcello has really turned it around as well. Last outing, he did give up four earned runs, but... Um, after that first inning where he did give up the four, he really buckled down and uh, didn't give up anything for the next almost six innings after that. He pitched six and two-thirds. Um, but over his last, uh, let's say, five starts, he's given up two, three, zero, two, and four. Um, it really was only the first two outings of the year where he was really – or really first three where he looked rough, and then his last five have been great. Yeah, i got to give him credit. I know you – absolutely love him and i'm uh pretty lukewarm on him but he has been tremendous gotta give credit where credit's due and even i was probably uh the most impressed with his last outing where he was giving up incredibly hard contact in the first inning against seattle gave up four runs then battled back to not give up anymore kept the red sox in the game and then they exploded for eight runs in the fourth or fifth and kind of put that one away but there have been times last year and certainly the year before where Porcello fell behind early. It was tough for them to come back because he's, he's one of those guys where when he has it, he has it. And when he doesn't, he doesn't. But this, he was able to kind of rebound and figure his stuff out after the first inning and then completely shut the Mariners down for the rest of the game, which is very impressive outing. He only went uh, five and two thirds, but the, you know, the latter four and two-thirds, he looked very sharp. Yeah, he sure did. Um, and the other guy that we haven't talked about yet who's healthy in the rotation is Eduardo Rodriguez, who has continued to look pretty good. Um, he pitched really well in that trouncing that the Red Sox put on the other day. I think the team scored like 15 runs in, in the game that he pitched in, but he's looked really solid. And uh, we did get some good news about David Price as well. Um, Alex Cora indicated today that David Price might rejoin the rotation uh, next weekend against the Astros. So it seems like everything is kind of going as well as it could for David Price, who was was placed on the IL with some elbow tendonitis. It seems like that's going to be no big deal. Yeah, which was a little surprising. Uh, we kind of just woke up on Monday, and then all of a sudden he was on the IL. I didn't really know what to think of that. So... There, I mean, there wasn't any kind of indication his previous start, and there wasn't any, like, doctor's visit in between. I mean, it just all of a sudden was on the IL. So those, to me, that sneak up generally mean very bad news. But the fact that, you know, it's just going to be a short stint here, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I was a little concerned about it because he's just such an important piece uh, to this team. Um, but you know, it seems like all's well, and uh, this might just be a little bit of a maintenance piece to make sure that nothing, nothing substantial happens in the future. So, 
I'm happy with that. Um, yeah. I have a quick note though. Yeah, uh, sure. On the uh, so it was five batters that Sale had multiple strikeouts against. The uh, number for the total uh, that was for the entire game with a team at 22 as a whole. So uh, two batters that game, Jonathan VR and Steve Wilkerson, had four strikeouts. That's bad. Yeah, that is bad. That is very, uh, very Baltimore of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is about as on-brand as it gets for that team. Um, so I, I guess contextually, though, we have to talk about where this puts the team uh, in terms of their, their chase for winning the division. Uh, i got to be honest, I wasn't feeling like they had – any real chance at winning the division or a very slim chance uh, if you asked me three weeks ago it just seemed like too many things were going wrong uh, in the early season um, and typically history has not been kind to teams that start the way that the Red Sox start but what they're doing here is they're proving that um, they are not other teams I mean they are they they are pretty much the team that that they brought back from 2018 um, and I think the piece that we have to point to, though, is that offense, which has been buoyed by what Chavis has done, what everybody's really done in this lineup. Um, but they've scored 220 runs now today, uh, after the game today, uh, that they were at 220 runs. Um, where that puts them in the American League, that puts them right behind um, Seattle for second place. Um, and you know that Seattle's played in a few more games than the Red Sox have at this point. They're 20 and 23, so they've played in 43 games. The Red Sox have only played in 21 games. Um, so that's two games of uh, extra offense. And then the Dodgers in the National League have scored 227 runs at this point. And uh, I believe they have a few games in hand over the Red Sox as well. Yeah, they have uh, th- two games in hand over the Red Sox. Uh, there, so the Red Sox are actually performing on a game by game by game basis as the top offense in baseball this year. Yeah, that's pretty surprising too, especially when you look. I mean, it was two weeks ago they had. Um, I don't know if it was the worst because there are some really bad teams, but <clears throat> it was a season worst minus forty two run differential, and it's sitting at plus twenty seven now in just about two and a half weeks. That is a whole buttload of runs. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot to make up. Um, and a lot of that we've seen from, from the starting pitching combined with the excellent offense that we've talked about. Um, but I think it's fair that we should talk about the job that the bullpen has done lately as well. Um, the bullpen's actually been a little bit better than we thought. Uh, it, it certainly starts with a couple of the top guys who we've talked about. Um, but Matt Barnes is quietly... Uh, positioning himself as one of the better relievers in all of baseball. He's got a K per nine right now of 16.43, uh, which has him, uh, as first in the AL or close to it. Uh, or no, yeah, he is first in the AL and he's third in all of baseball, uh, behind just Kirby Yates and Josh Hader. And when you're, uh, behind Kirby Yates and Josh Hader in anything, uh, you know you're in pr- pretty good company right there. Yeah, I think coming in, uh, you know, one of the first pods that we did, we talked about how we actually felt okay with Barnes and how he was going to be used. Uh, but the fact that he has wiggled his way into one of the more elite relievers in uh, baseball uh, took me by surprise. And obviously I feel even better about having him out there. 
Now, the only thing is we need to get him more innings. Let's get him in some situations where he can pitch more. Well, I guess that would be the higher leverage situation, so maybe I don't want more of those. But I feel good when he comes into the game, which I didn't know I would feel as good as I do. Yeah, I certainly agree with you. Um, I think there's still a lot that this team needs to do, um, but I would point to... The performance by Barnes as sort of the best one that we've seen out of the bullpen, not to be, not, not in any way unexpected. Um, certainly he's been the Red Sox best reliever. We knew that going into the year. Um, but two other guys that we have to mention in a big way. Um, one is Marcus Walden who pitched today. Um, he's already got 20.1 innings on the season this year and Marcus Walden uh, has been fantastic. Uh, actually, 22.1 after today. Um, his ERA is sitting at 161. Um, his strikeouts are almost at 10.5 right now, and he's walking two guys uh, per nine. Um, 26 strikeouts. This guy's been amazing. This slider has transformed him into one of the most dangerous multi-inning relievers in the game, and he's the reason why you're able to survive things like David Price being out um right now because he came in after uh, Hector Velasquez uh, pitched well, certainly for how he looked. I didn't think he looked very good. When I turned on the game in the first inning and I was watching, I was like, shit, man, this is going to be a long day uh, with how he looked in the first. But he was able to, to gut through five innings today. And then Marcus came in and gave him two more just elite innings. Um, can't say enough about what he's meant to the team. Yeah, it's been huge. And really the the sign that you have made it, as a pitcher is getting the pitching ninja treatment and uh Walden slider got that today. So he's got nice little pitching ninja gif out there that I had been enjoying earlier today. So he's, he's just been incredibly impressive and just overpowering to a point that uh not only did I not expect it, I didn't think outside of Barnes, I really wasn't sure what we had. I figured Brazier would probably be all right. Uh, and outside of those two, I didn't think the bullpen had anything else. And Marcus Walden has absolutely proved me wrong on that. He's been very impressive. You know, he's got a better ERA and strikeout rate than Marcus Walden in the bullpen, who's not named Matt Barnes. Who's that? Brandon Workman. Brandon Workman's thrown 18 innings, and he has gone 38 batters without allowing a hit now. Yeah, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, 1.5 ERA on the season. Um, I I don't think that this is anything close to to his true talent level, but I do think that he can be an important reliever for this team going forward. I think the issue with with uh, Workman is that sometimes he can get a little wild and he can struggle to find the zone, and uh, if he doesn't have his curveball, he's not going to be good. Um, just flat out, if he doesn't have it, he's not going to be good. Um, but his curveball is one of the better pitches in baseball. Now, I think that Marcus Walden is more talented than he is, and I think he's ultimately going to be a more important piece. But Workman has come into the game in key situations multiple times this year and done a whole lot with it. And uh, I think he's a big reason why they've been able to close out a lot of these games recently. Yeah, I agree, for sure. And I th- we in our kind of diagnosis of the team coming into the season, we tried to look at this bullpen and find four guys that we could see hold a lead. And <coughs> again, we couldn't come up with four names and 
I see four, potentially five now because the Red Sox were middle of the road with their starters in uh, innings pitched. It essentially was going to take three and a half relievers on average to get to the ninth inning and close out a game. And we really, I guess, had more question marks in this bullpen than we thought. But Walden and Workman have really stepped up to the point where I don't, I don't feel uncomfortable in any situation bringing them in, and particularly with getting multiple innings out of both of them. That's only going to be able to help them just tremendously in the long run. And uh, Cora's flexible usage of his bullpen arms, that's exactly what he's looking for, and they're giving him exactly what he wants. Yeah, so far this year, um, Cora has pitched uh, Workman in more than one inning on just one occasion. So he's he seems to be settling in as just a, a one-inning guy, um, but that's fine if you have the ability to go to somebody like a Walden, especially when the pitchers who are out right now get back uh, in Price and Eovaldi. Uh, that's going to open up how you can use Marcus Walden in a big way uh, and kind of make him into a little bit of a Josh Hader-type weapon uh, there. And he, he doesn't seem to have any trouble with anybody these days. Um, I do think that the team still should and could add to that unit um, because when you look at the bottom of the bullpen, there's still that soft underbelly of Heath Hembry, Tyler Thornburg, who, God, man, that guy should not have a job. Uh, Colton Brewer, Ryan Weber, who's actually looked pretty good. I actually like his stuff a little bit. It's sort of weird deception. Um, and, and Josh Smith, who is just waiting to be sent down at this point. But, um, I mean, there's still a lot of room to add there, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you continually run out the same four names every game, you're going to run out of innings by the end of the year. And that's going to be when you need them the most. So either your starters are going to need to go deeper or you're going to need another arm or two in the bullpen, which I'm anticipating is probably going to be the route they're going to go. Yep. And today we did see um, Jackie Bradley sit uh, for the first time in a little while. Um, and that's probably something we'll continue to see a little bit more of uh, unless Jackie does snap out of this. Um, over the past week, he did have the unbelievable catch. Um, and... Uh, he did have a pretty big hit. Uh, I think that was just two nights ago where he had the uh, two-run uh, single. Um, so hopefully Jackie is getting to the point where he's about to turn it around because he's really the only piece on offense that hasn't been clicking right now, especially with the emergence of, of Christian Vasquez. Yeah, and I mean, we say it almost every time that you and I have a conversation. We're not expecting a lot out of JBJ, but over 200 would be nice. Yeah, that would be a good mark for him. Um, do you want to play guess the WRC plus for Christian Vasquez at this point? Sure. All right, what do you think? I'm thinking 95. Higher. Ooh, uh, 105? Higher. Wow. Okay. 115? 110. <coughs> That's pretty good. That is really good. For someone who you're expecting literally no offense from this year, uh, to have five home runs in a 110 WRC plus at the end of your lineup, um, that is absolutely huge. It's really giving <coughs> this, this lineup even more length than it already had. Um, and it's made 
it a little bit easier to cover up from the struggles that Jackie's had this this early going. Yeah, it has. And I think that, I mean, we talked about it on the last, I've been saying that a lot this pod, but we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, Jackie Bradley's struggles looked probably worse than they were because of how bad the team was doing. It was easy to just kind of pile on to him. But our expectations for JBJ at the plate aren't super high. But um, we also weren't expecting much from the catcher position. And the fact that Leone had a monster hit the other night too. He's prone to having a couple of those every now and then. Vasquez has been on on relative fire for him. And that's that's very, very good to see. When you have as many bats in the lineup right now as the Red Sox have producing, uh, things probably aren't going to go wrong. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, things are definitely going as right as they can be. Uh, recently so hopefully they can continue this stretch uh, the Red Sox have the day off on Monday as you're probably listening to this podcast um, followed by a quick two-game set at home against the Colorado Rockies with another day off on Thursday and then uh, they have a three-game set against the Houston Astros uh, Friday Saturday and Sunday so I think uh, this is really shaping up to be a pretty good week for the team. Um, they get a Colorado Rockies team that I think that they can take advantage of here. A um, couple days off to get rested for a huge test at home against the Houston Astros. So the the way that the team's been playing, I feel like this is going to be much more of an early season measuring stick uh, than we would have thought it would have been looking at the calendar at the beginning of May when we were playing Oakland. You know, we were just hoping to kind of get things pointed in the right direction at that point but now this series could actually mean something the way the teams are playing yeah and just to loop back to um something that you touched on two weeks ago you and i actually gave our percent chance of the red sox winning the division i said 15 you said that was too high and you went with seven and i think both you and i probably feel a whole hell of a lot better about that now yeah i would say so i mean at this point in the season, um, being three games back out of first place to the Rays, uh, who were just dealt a pretty major blow uh, with the uh, the injury um, news. Uh, who who was it? The big guy? Glass now. Glass now. That's it. Glass now. Four to six weeks. Um, they got another four to six weeks from Zunino, who he was throwing to. Um, so they've had a little bit of uh, injury difficulties lately. We all know the injury history with the Yankees right now, so... All of a sudden, with the Red Sox playing good baseball and those two teams a little bit vulnerable to due to injury, um, it, it's sort of perfect timing. And, you know, I went on a, a British radio show this week, and I was sort of lamenting that the Red Sox had had such a poor early season um, because they weren't able to take advantage of the Yankees having so many injuries. But now it seems like they're going to get an opportunity to do that. Yeah. And uh, timing really couldn't be better right now for it. And I really like your you know your point about an early season measuring stick with the Astros because right now uh, the Astros are tops in the American League, and we kind of expect them to be there throughout the whole way. So this is going to be a good test. Yes, it is. Uh, so we're going to be looking forward to that. Um, but right now what we're going to do is look down a little bit on the farm. Uh, at what some of the minor leaguers are doing down there. 
Um, we haven't had a chance to really talk too much about the minor league leagues this year. Um, but uh, if you follow me at Locked On Red Sox, uh, we've talked about this particular guy who we're going to mention now a lot. He's sort of the official uh, prospect of that podcast, and that's Jaron Durant, who is leading all of the minors in hitting right now with a 398 batting average, uh, 13 steals, one homer. Um, this guy is basically performing as good as any baseball player in the minor leagues right now. He really is. And the fact that he was a seventh round pick really makes him feel like a steal. And I mean, his hit tool is just incredible for, uh, he hit like 354, I believe, in his, um, short season last year after being drafted, hitting nearly 400 so far this season, leading the minor leagues. I mean, you can't really ask for much more. And he's drawn a lot of comparisons to Kobe Ellsbury, but healthy. And just remembering, what Ellsbury did for us when he was healthy just kind of has you salivating a bit. Yeah, I mean, if he has that type of an upside, uh, he's going to be an absolute steal for the team. But it, it seems like the the possibility of him becoming a major league regular at this point is uh, is fairly good. I mean, he certainly has a long way to go in his development. Let's let's not you know put him in the Hall of Fame yet, but. He, he couldn't have done much more with what he's been given at this point. In Salem, as the Sox prospects guys have said uh, multiple times, was an aggressive assignment for him. And he's showing that he's been able to handle that uh, level. So if he can continue to handle Salem over the next month or two, it wouldn't shock me to see him get a later season promotion all the way up to Portland. No, not at all. And I, I would almost say just a month mid-june we'd see him there yeah it would definitely be really aggressive for him but i think that you know if he continues to do this you're really not going to have much of a choice uh but to allow that to happen right i mean you want him to develop but you also don't want him to tee off on you know in what is essentially inferior competition for too long so i think he's just about shown he doesn't have much left to prove in salem and it's it's going to be very soon that he'll be in Portland. A couple other guys to watch are uh, Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck, who's turned things around after a slow start. Um, he had a three-home run game the other day, uh, 17.7% walk rate. Um, and uh, he, he sort of righted the ship um, after a disastrously slow start to the season. His, his, his uh, OPS is actually looking sort of more what, what you'd expect uh, from Bobby Dahlbeck now. Yeah, he had a slow start to last season as well, so he just may be, you know, one of those guys like a John Lester type where he's just got to get into the groove of getting the, the continual playing time and then it kind of all starts to click. But 22 walks in 30 games with a 387 OBP while he's hitting around 250 at this point, <coughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. To be able to, uh, for as slow as he started, be able to get on base at that rate uh that shows that you know he's making his at bats worth it which is all part of the development and something that you want to see that even though he's struggling to get hits he's still getting on base and getting on base um you know any way you can and walk is as good as a single so take it yeah absolutely um one of the other guys who's been performing pretty well recently is uh first round draft pick 
Tristan Casas, who got a pretty aggressive assignment to uh, Greenville to start the season. He's still just 19 years old. Um, he's playing third base down there where he does have a couple of errors. Uh, he's probably going to end up a first baseman. Uh, ultimately, he has played a bunch of first there as well. Uh, so let me give you the breakdown. He's had uh, 24 games started this season at first base uh, and just two games started uh, at uh, third base. And so he has made one hour at first and two at third. So clearly he's a first baseman moving forward. However, uh, he does have six home runs and 25 RBIs uh, in the young season with a 487 slugging percentage. So I'd like to see him walk a little bit more and be a little bit more patient, but at least he's doing damage when he's up there at the plate. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, the Red Sox gave a lot of their guys pretty aggressive assignments, and they're all actually handling them pretty well. I mean, I mean, Duran is doing a little bit extra, but uh, they've tested their young draft picks, young recent draft picks so far this season, and um, I'm not all that disappointed with how any of them have been handling it, which is a good sign for the future. Yeah, it sure is, and uh, I think it's probably worth us talking about another uh hot starting uh, first baseman here, um, and that's Josh Akami, um, who really didn't have a very good season last year, um, especially when he got up to uh, Pawtucket for the first time. He had trouble with AAA pitching, um, but so far in, in 2019, he's been doing a little bit better. Uh, he has eight home runs on the early season. Uh, he's only batting 214, but he's got his, his OBP up to 384 with a 541 slugging percentage. Um, which obviously you'd like to see him swing and miss a little bit less and bring that average up. But the fact is, I mean, he's showing really strong plate plate discipline against a lot of guys who have had time in the major leagues um, and doing damage against pitches. Yeah, uh, similar to Dahlbeck, I mean, the at-bats that he's putting up, he's walking in a 19% clip and he's drawn 25 in 31 games. And, you know, you mentioned his batting average isn't all that high. It's actually only four points higher than uh, what he was able to put together in AAA uh, last season. So it seems like that's been a bit of an adjustment for him. But the major difference is he's striking out 7% less and walking 9% more this season at AAA compared to last season, which, to me, that's a step forward. You know, the batting average isn't there, but they're much higher quality at bats this year. So he is taking to the level and working counts getting good at bats and uh, i think that the rest is just going to kind of follow as that improves yeah he, he strikes me as a platoon first baseman if everything clicks and i don't necessarily think that that's going <clears> to <throat> be here with the red sox um so i think that he could be somebody that the red sox could look to move uh here to add some relief pitching um as they get closer to the deadline i wouldn't be surprised if he continues to perform to to see to see him included in a package I agree with that. I think the it's actually kind of funny to think about like organizationally they might have the most depth in third baseman that will end up as first baseman. <laughs> Not exactly where you want to corner the market, <laughs> but you know, in in this system, you can't really complain too much about uh, having any positive developments. <laughs> right. Um, but we'll be watching, uh, especially uh, June 14th, as uh, the Lowell level kicks off, short season ball. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more to look at then, uh, and that should be a really entertaining team. So we'll continue to bring you periodic uh, updates from on the farm. But right now, uh, I want to actually get over to some of your listener questions. 
All right, so the first one comes from uh, Corey Jestoon, or however you say that. Uh, and he just simply says to us, thoughts on Podrick. Um, do you have thoughts on Podrick? Without giving spoilers to our listeners who will immediately unsubscribe from us and hate us. Yeah, um, I mean, given how good of a fighter he is at this point now, uh, I think he's a he's a dark horse for a major role in whatever uh, post. This is really hard to not give anything away. He may be a major player, surprisingly, I think. That's, yeah, he's, he's had a pretty point. good uh, fighting coach in uh, Brienne of Tarth, so... Sir Brienne of Tarth. Sir. Oh, that's a sport. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Keaton. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. Podrick, also really good with the ladies. All right, we, our next question comes to us from JJ the Jet, uh, who asks us, has PD played his last game? Uh, this is a little interesting because PD was actually scratched from his uh, rehab game today with a little bit of soreness. Um, but he has played in a few games straight, so it seems like there is some progress as well. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I gotta think no. Um, it's an interesting injury that he's coming back from. And I know they were really hoping to get him into play, um, I think today would have been the third out of three games in a row, which would have been a pretty major milestone for him. Um, so I, I just got to think he's not, I mean, he was already called up at one point this year. They have nothing else really at second. I mean, they luckily can keep rolling Chavis out there for now, but at some point he's going to play. And the fact that he's still making, was it like $34 million over the next two seasons? He's not going to walk away from that. So he'll be around next year. And then that might be it. Yeah, I think he'll also play this year. Um, I'm starting to get the vibe that he's probably not going to stick around uh, for his whole contract. Um, and I don't really think he should. If he can't play uh, to the level that he's accustomed to playing, then he should probably retire. Uh, and uh, I, I know that my opinion differs from Matt on this, who I do the, uh, the Locked On podcast with, but... I really just don't think that he has it in him to play at a reduced level. Um, so I kind of think the end is is really coming close. Um, our next question comes from uh, Jeff Wax, and he asks, what's wrong with Steve Pierce? I imagine he doesn't have any options left at this point. Um, so first of all, uh, Steve Pierce uh, at this point uh, has so much service time that that is not applicable uh, to him. Yeah, uh, I think his of, options ran out a decade ago. Yeah, so uh, that's that's not a thing for him at uh, 36 years old. But um, everything is wrong with Steve Pierce right now. Uh, he is just not himself whatsoever. Uh, everything's completely topsy-turvy. His K rate, his walk rate, uh, the amount that he's making contact, everything is wrong right now. So... And it's something we've never seen from him in his career. Uh, so there are a couple possibilities is that his swing is still completely screwed up from whatever injury he had, or he fell off a cliff and can't catch up to fastballs anymore. I tend to be in the camp that he is such a good hitter um, that this is 
definitely injury related and I think that he is dying for an IL stint and is probably being a little bit too stubborn about it and trying to work through it at the major league level and I think that the decision needs to be made to IL him pretty soon yeah that really is the only option left at this point and uh, I know there's a another question about Steve Pierce but he's not going to be DFA or sent to the minors. They're paying him over six million dollars. It's on a one-year deal. He'll he'll either be on the bench or, um, as you said, an IL stint. But there's I don't know if he's ever been this bad at any point in his career. So there's I, I think I'm with you. There has to be something there. No, he's never been even close to this bad. Um, and that other question was, what's the fastest time from World Series MVP to DFA from Eric Clementi? Um, great question. I actually have no clue. Um, we will try and look that up, though, because it is super interesting. Um, so I did. Oh, you did. Good. And I believe I found the answer is uh, old friend Edgar Renteria won World Series MVP in 2010. And then lasted 96 games into 2011, and then his career was over. Wow. Well, there you go. So I believe that's the mark. Dude, for a bit. Yeah. Wow. Um, Do you know how many war he had that season? That he the right before he got DFA'd. Uh, I don't. But look at that up right now. uh, So yeah, he had. So I'll I'll look that up. Um, So I think. We, we need to put in perspective what Steve Pierce did. Um, World Series MVP is impressive. I'm not going to take that away from him. But he had a really good five games, and I bet you at some point this season he's also going to have a really good five games. I don't think people were expecting him because he won World Series MVP to hit 270 with 30 bombs, 100 RBI. We expect him to be a platoon bat, which is exactly what he's been. He just hasn't been able to hit even to that level but which is why he only has one purpose on this team and it's to be a right-handed hitter and he can't even do that which tells you something has to be wrong because that's he literally has one job so while what he did in the world series was impressive i don't think anybody was expecting him to come out put the world on fire so what was that year that he uh got dfa 2011 2011 uh so the year before that, he was worth 1.1 war, and the year that he was DFA'd was uh, he was worth 0.6 war before he got dropped. So he was not even close to Steve Pierce territory bad <laughs> when he got dropped. Uh, he actually had a WRC plus of 80 uh, in that very last season of 2011. So um, I think if I'm not wrong that uh steve pierce's wrc plus is negative like 14 or 16 right now um so he is he's in a really different category uh than than pretty much anyone else yeah it's negative 13 um not good uh next question comes. that was eight years ago so he was 35 when he was let go so he was even younger than steve pierce is now he did play a more premium defensive position though he did. Next question comes from, oh man, this is going to be tough for me. Uh, Rodion Romanovich Raskolnikovic. Raskolnikovic? 
Oh, no, Raskolnikov. Okay, I'm sorry. Sure. Man. Um, by this rate, would Rafi Devers make the All Star game? Thank you for the question. Sorry, I butchered your name. Um, I don't know. Um, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to put himself in a position to make the All Star game. I'm going to look at qualified third baseman right now. My um, answer is no. He because. Is- yeah. Bregman is having a really, really good year, and Chapman is having almost an identical year. So Bregman is hitting uh, 277, 12 homers, 31 RBIs, and he has just as many walks as strikeouts at 26. And Chapman is almost identical. He's hitting 280, 10 homers, 20 walks, 25 strikeouts. So both of them are having incredible seasons. If we extrapolate that out to the All-Star break, they're both going to be pushing 30 homers. Uh, and Devers right now with his numbers will have about six to eight. Yeah. And also, I mean, defense is part of making the all-star game, um, in a lot of contexts. So there's that working against him. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think there's a chance. He's currently the sixth in the AL in war at the position. Um, Hunter Dozier is also going to be in consideration with the season that he's had. He's got nine home runs, 21 RBIs, batting 320. It's going to be one of those three, if not all three of those guys you just mentioned. Yep. Does Chavis have a better war than him right now? Uh, let's see. Chavis. Um, I'm not sure. Let me look it up. Good radio right now. Yeah. Yomankata is having an interesting year as well. He strikes out a whole buttload, though. Uh, Old friend. Chavis is at point nine, so basically the same year as him so far. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. interesting. Um, everybody's favorite moron, uh, which is a great Twitter handle, but it is uh, Eamon Dusso, uh, who is a longtime listener of ours. Uh, thank you for the question. Asks us, uh, any chance the Sox are in on Keuchel? I don't think the Sox would, there, that there is any chance that the Sox are in on Keuchel, uh, simply because it seems like the price thing is going to be over pretty quickly, um, and they have enough options to sort of fill in that last rotation spot until Eovaldi comes back. Uh, I just don't see them adding that type of payroll, because he's still going to demand a pretty decent amount of money. W- what are your thoughts, Keaton? <clears throat> Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think they're a long-term injury away from being in on him, but time is running out if they want to get ahead of... I know he's been um, rumored heavily with Milwaukee and Minnesota, and I think both of those teams make a lot of sense, but he's prob- he and Kimbrell are probably not going to sign until the June 2nd deadline is up for giving up a draft pick, and as soon as... Um, teams don't have to give up any sort of compensation. Probably both of them are going to be signed a la uh, Stephen Drew when the Red Sox so kindly tried to wreck Xander Bogart's development and moved into third for that disaster. But um, teams don't seem willing to give up a sandwich pick, which is kind of surprising to me. Well, but, they won't have to after June. Right, and that's I'm like a team. Uh, there's teams that could use both of them now, but they won't because they don't want to give up a pick in the 40s. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on with those two teams you mentioned, and it would be pretty on brand for Minnesota, who has built a lot of their success this year uh, with uh, off season acquisitions. So I think that that'd be a great landing spot for him, and I think he'd fit in there. Yeah. Um, next question comes from Chris is floating in space and he has two, one baseball related, one not. He says with Veep ending tonight, what incredible things is Julia Louis-Dreyfus uh, going to do next? Uh, and then his baseball question is, are the Astros and the Dodgers the only teams currently in first place that we can <laughs> trust slash expect to actually make the playoffs? So any thoughts on Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Do you watch Veep? I do. I've I've been a very dedicated Veep fan for a while, and tonight is the last episode, season or series finale, which is a huge bummer. I bet she ends up doing something else with HBO. She doesn't seem to age, which is cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of teams that are currently positioned to be in the playoffs right now, uh, that I think are actually going to make it, I actually think that L.A., the Cubs, Philly in Milwaukee will make it. Um, I think that Pittsburgh will not, and I think that they would be the second wild card if things ended today. And on the AL side, I think that Cleveland is not going to make it, Um, but I think that Houston, Tampa Bay, Yankees, and Boston will all make it. Yeah, I think every team that's in first place right now is actually going to make the playoffs. I agree with you. Cleveland are, I don't, what are they doing? They're in absolute shambles. The fact that they're slightly over 500 right now is kind of wild. Cleveland should sell. They should. And they have very valuable pieces to do that. But Astros for sure, Dodgers for sure. I think the Rays are going to turn it around. The uh, the Glasnow thing actually does have me kind of worried because that that can cause them to fade quite a bit. But I think Phillies, Cubs, Dodgers, yes. Uh, I, yeah, Twins, yes. Astros, yes. And I think Rays, probably, yeah. So I think, actually, every team that's in first place is going to make it. Okay. Um, and final question of the night uh, comes from Rodney Inglis, who says, can we assume the Red Sox will ever lo- will never lose again? I wish, Rodney. But uh, unfortunately, they shall lose again. But uh, I think they'll win the Great War. Yeah, should be should be more than they lose. Yeah, that's for damn sure. And that's something we couldn't have said just two weeks ago. So <laughs> good on them. All right, yeah. so that about does it for our show. If you enjoyed the show, thank you. And please go on and rate and review us. Uh, just a reminder, uh, if you do rate and review us and then uh, snap a picture of your rate and review and get at us uh, on Twitter, uh, we can put you in the running to win a copy of Out of the Park Baseball uh, 20 uh, or 19. Which copy is it? It's 20. 20. Right? Yep. 20, yeah. Um, and so go ahead and do that. You have until the beginning of June to get that in before we choose a winner. And thank you for all the people who have been kind enough to go out and review us in that time period. We really do appreciate that. And you can send us that picture on Twitter. You can do it to Keaton at the Spoken Keats, or you can do it uh, to me at, at Dev Jake. And uh, 
if you send it to the Over the Monster account, Matt's probably going to have no idea what the hell you're doing. So uh, just send it to one of us two. But definitely follow the Over the Monster account uh, for all your latest Red Sox news. So, Keaton, thank you for joining me. That has been our show, and we will be with you next week. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs>